Hey guys, fantastic episode in store for you today. I break down some uh, key points of the conversation with Elon Musk and Lex Friedman. So Elon Musk, as we all know, was on the Joe Rogan experience, um, but Joe Rogan, as awesome as he is, love his podcast, uh, shout out to Joe, who will never hear this, um, he doesn't have the AI and the tech experience that Lex Friedman has. So uh, Lex Friedman and Elon Musk had two interviews. I will talk about some of the things that they discussed, and I go into some detail about what I think about some of their AI discussion, the future of humanity, the apocalyptic visions, and in the last part of the podcast, I discuss an interview between W. Wan and Anthony Pompliano. So they are both on the forefront of Bitcoin and crypto investment and blockchain. So take a listen, guys. You're not going to want to miss this shit. Oh, I forgot to mention, you can go to my website, tstuch.com, follow me there, tstuch.com, follow me on YouTube, and Periscope, I do live broadcasts almost daily, uh, Taylor Stutch, T-A-Y-L-O-R space S-T-U-C-H on YouTube, tstuch1 on Periscope, tstuch1 on Twitter, follow me guys, and I love you, enjoy the podcast. All right, let's get started talking about Elon Musk. So there is an awesome podcast that I recently discovered called, um, what is it called here? I think it's called AI. Anyway, it's with a guy named Lex Friedman. That's L-E-X-F-R-I-D-M-A-N, I believe. Um, let's see here, the Artificial Intelligence Podcast. The Artificial intelligence intelligence podcast yes um so that is what it is called uh i believe like i said if you type in lex friedman l-e-x-r-f-r-i-d-m-a-n he talks about all kinds of cool shit related to um it could be artificial intelligence uh robotics quantum mechanics uh it's heavily focused though around AI and like that kind of uh, – just that kind of shit. Um, and this guy has been on Joe Rogan's podcast uh, it, once or twice, Lex Friedman, and he's a really cool guy. Uh, <laughs> I laugh because uh, cool guy is something that they make fun of in one of the, my favorite podcasts I listen to. Anyway – uh, in this podcast, he's been on Joe Rogan a few times, and he is an AI researcher at MIT. So he does a lot of work um, working with AI and, I guess, algorithms and things like that. And he's a very interesting fellow. If you want to learn more about Lex Friedman, you can you know just check out his, his YouTube channel. Also, um, he, like I said, he's been on Joe Rogan once or twice, so you can get a lot from him from there. Now, uh, it, he had Elon Musk on twice, very incredible in my opinion, and they talked about some cool shit. So in the first uh, interview that they did, they talked about um, a lot about Tesla self-driving cars and stuff like that. So I'll just tell you a little bit what I think is interesting about that was that essentially Elon Musk said that they already have the hardware to pretty much – have like fully autonomous driving cars and it's uh, the hardware's there and it's really just about some more software upgrades and um 
it's about software and continuing for the system to continue learning from data and inputs and things like that before it can do it on its own. Now, uh, what's also interesting is so reading that book uh, by Peter Thiel that is uh, zero to one. He talked about how you gain monopoly in an area um, in business. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting is I won't go into that, but anyway, he talks about monopoly. How if you are an entrepreneur, you don't want to be in the trenches fighting it out hand to hand combat with everybody else, right? What you want to do is find a new area, a new niche, and develop a new market, okay? Something in a new space that other people aren't doing. And Elon Musk, and he, basically what he has said was, is when you do that, you want to achieve monopoly in that market. He was saying is that in the economy of today, we generally have two main types of businesses. We have monopolies, and then we have almost like perfect competition, where people are fighting for small profits. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Like People are able to make good amount of money in the uh, heavy competition game, but it's, um, it's just it's not nearly as much. You're not as comfortable. You're not as uh, siloed from competition as you are as a monopoly. So in this book, Zero to One, he really pushes the idea that if you want to start a business, go for a monopoly. And I mean, that's respectable. It's a respectable way of thinking. He doesn't say use the government to create a monopoly. He says, uh, go for business opportunities where you can create a monopoly for yourself. Now, Tesla or Elon Musk uh, alluded to that. He didn't allude to the book, but he alluded to that concept kind of in his interview with Lex. When he talked about his self-driving car technology and everything, he made it very clear. He's like, look, I don't see anybody else even close to us. He said that they're making exponential progress within their domain of self-driving cars, and there he says that he doesn't see anyone else coming close to them. And I thought that was a perfect example of what Peter Thiel has been talking about in terms of create a monopoly in your industry. He is saying that they are so far ahead of, it, of the rest of the competition, he just doesn't see anyone else catching up anytime soon. Now, he also made a comment that that doesn't mean you know to rest easy and be lazy, but he was just saying like that's his honest assessment of where he thinks they're at. So I thought that was really cool. Um, now, in this interview, there's a couple interesting things I wanted to point out. One is consciousness. So Elon Musk um, talks a little bit about consciousness. So one thing I really like about Elon is I saw this in his Rogan interview and I saw this today is that for someone as intelligent as he is and somebody as um, as practically grounded, right? So he's not like an intellectual – he's not one of these theoretical physicists that locks himself up in a room with a dry erase board and markers and comes out with some theory that nobody can use and that isn't applicable to real life. He's an extremely intelligent dude who's making real shit in the world that people can use and understand. Um, I have a lot of respect for that. So what's going on here is, is – or at least how it seems, he talked about consciousness and we all want to know what is consciousness. Well, it's nice to know that even Elon Musk doesn't have a strong opinion on consciousness. He was like, look – it appears to be a physical phenomenon because you can damage your consciousness doing physical things, right? So for example, if I get hit by a car, my consciousness can become impaired 
or like loosely connected to what it was. Um, so that gives credence to the idea that it is a physical phenomenon. But he also was talking about how consciousness feels as though it is in another realm. It is another dimension. It feels like something very different than how we would describe it in just the regular physical realm. So I thought that was really interesting because it leaves the question mark on what is consciousness, um, you know, what is intelligence, things of that sort. So, you know, somebody like Elon Musk is willing to come out and say, look, we don't know what consciousness is. Uh, we just fundamentally don't understand it. We don't know what it is. Be and the reason they talked about this is because of artificial intelligence. So um, what was also interesting is they moved beyond just consciousness and talked about intelligence and artificial intelligence and whether or not uh, we will achieve artificial general intelligence. So once again, I thought it was interesting that um, uh, Elon Musk – has pretty much said what I already believe, but I believe from listening to other thinkers on the subject that we are pretty far away or, you know, uh, artificial general intelligence is not something that is um, here and it's not as close as people think. He believes that we are missing some uh, ideas. So the way Lex Friedman put it, I thought was interesting. He asked if we, if there are whole ideas that we need to invent, I thought that was a really cool way to look at it. He said, do we need to invent new ideas in order to get to artificial general intelligence? And Elon Musk seemed to agree. He said, yes, I think we're missing key ideas about intelligence in order to get to artificial general intelligence. So remember I talked earlier, maybe a podcast or two ago, uh, artificial general intelligence is not just a specific task. Like our current artificial systems, from what I know, like I'm not an expert on this either, but from, you know, I like following this stuff pretty intensely. From what I have seen, there's a lot of advanced AI doing particular tasks, right? So it could be calculating a math problem or it could be, um, you know, finding a strategy to win at chess or it could be, you know, finding an optimized route through some specific space and time. Uh, but we don't have artificial intelligence that is like a self-aware consciousness that is able to um, think and feel and plan for itself. Right now, all of our, our AI systems are very pre-programmed to follow very set, uh, set specific parameters. And they don't have the ability to think on their own, or at least that's how it appears. So that was really, uh, really cool. And as they continued in the podcast, um, they talked about uh, they, you know, he talked about artificial intelligence. He also talked about Neuralink, which I thought was interesting. So Neuralink. So I was under the impression. So first, let's back up. Neuralink is a project that a, that uh, Elon Musk is trying to undergo to connect humans to machines. So. Why don't we look up an actual definition here? Neural, uh, neural link, neural link. So neuralink.com. So this looks actually, it looks like an actual fucking business that Elon Musk has started. And I guess that's true. Uh, he starts off. Hello world. We're excited to share what we've been working on for the past two years. So learn more. Um, I'm not going to read the entire paper, but, uh, it says the abstract brain machine interfaces hold the promise for the restoration of sensory and motor function in the treatment of neurological disorders, 
but clinical brain machine interfaces have not yet been widely adopted. So this is connecting machines to the brain. Um, that is what he's trying to do here. And, uh, and I know this already because I already listened to some of what he has to say about it. And he talked about – I love it. The thing I love about Elon Musk is he's so fucking straightforward. He doesn't bullshit you and finesse you. Now, maybe he does a little bit. But he talked about how um, they have a lot of challenges to overcome when it comes to the Neuralink situation. Um, and, you know, because you have to solve a lot of problems about hooking things up to people's brains. You know, you've got to make sure there's not too much power involved. You've got to watch out for a heat give off. Um, and we just don't know enough about, um, we just don't know enough about how the synapses and the electrical processes in the brain work to really make this work yet. But he does think that they are making progress and it's something he believes in. Uh, let's go ahead Pause for some ads. I'll be right back. So here we are, senors. Um, uh, what I wanted to continue with was Elon Musk talking a little bit about history and where we're going. So um, Lex Friedman asked Elon Musk some questions about where he thought the future of the world was going in terms of like, what kind of options do we have if AI gets too advanced? So I should uh, preface this with uh, Elon Musk believes that AI will get so advanced, it will outthink us in every possible way. Now, that doesn't mean there has to be a general intelligence, but that we will have different things that can outthink us in all the different ways that we think. Um, and he said one thing is that we, we need to have some regulatory body. I don't necessarily agree with him on that. Uh, I don't necessarily think government regulatory bodies are going to help the situation. I think it might slow down progress in the space. Um, but he did say that you know Elon Musk genuinely believes that we need to be extremely careful with the advancement of AI. He thinks it has the potential to kill us. And I, I would say that I think Elon Musk kind of views AI kind of like nuclear energy in a way, I think is some, one way we could look at it. So with nuclear energy, you can do a couple things with it. I mean, you could probably do more than that. I'm not an expert in nuclear energy, but you could blow up all of human civilization with um, you know thousands of missiles being aimed at every city and town across the world. Uh, you could destroy environments for thousands of years to come. Hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years, I don't know, with uh, nuclear uh, bombs and explosions, or you could harness nuclear energy to create more life and energy, right? So, like nuclear power plants. Now, even those, of course, have the potential to blow up and cause havoc, but, you know, um, having a few nuclear reactors spread out across areas is a lot less dangerous than having. Um, thousands of nuclear missiles aimed at your adversaries, I would uh, believe so. So especially because you don't need as many nuclear reactors for energy as you would need uh, nuclear missiles to shoot. Now, um, so AI is kind of, I think, in this realm. So AI technologies, and I don't. when I say AI technologies, I'm not just talking about artificial general intelligence because we don't even know what general intelligence is. Um, we don't know how we could make that happen in a machine, but in terms of having m computer systems that are just um, 
extremely advanced in all their areas of functionality, uh, it poses a threat in that it could, you know, I don't know what the potential threats could be, but Elon Musk looks at it that way, that it could, we, it could be fantastic, it could be great, or it could be horrible. Uh, but Elon Musk's view of it is that we should get ahead of it uh, before we get there. So let's not wait until we get to the point where you know we've got systems that are kind of off on their own doing shit, and whether or not they know what they're doing uh, is one thing. But let's not get to the point where we have machines that are so advanced that we can't control them because we don't know what they're doing. Um, he didn't say that explicitly, but let's not get there. Let's talk about this first. Let's figure out how we can make this work for us first. And I think that's a really respectable idea about him. Uh, another thing I thought was interesting was at the end of the podcast, uh, they talked about the future in terms of, I guess, just civilization. And uh, Musk said something that is so funny, and maybe it's because him and Peter Thiel work together and they're probably still on friendly terms. But he made the comment that civilizations, history shows us that civilizations rise and fall. And that we should remember this. And I totally agree. I totally agree. And um, and he was like, we need to keep this in mind. And uh, I think this is one reason why Elon pushes so hard for the future. I think this is why he pushes for Mars. I think this is why he pushes for electric vehicles. Why he's pushing for um, why he's pushing for this uh, technology, Neuralink. He's trying to. Push human beings ahead of extinction is what it looks like to me. So let's talk about extinction for a second. In the past, when we had uh, societal collapses, right? If you look at maybe the collapse of different empires like the Roman Empire or empires in Asia like China or empires in um, the Middle East like the Babylon or the Assyrians or whatever, um, you had uh, countries that were very um, advanced in terms of maybe their trade and their hierarchy and things like that. But they didn't have the technology to blow up the world. So this is something that's critically different. Um, We're in a situation now where collapse, and so Thiel and Musk have made this connection. Uh, Thiel made the... um, In his book, Zero to One, he said, look, we're in a situation now where we're so advanced, we have nuclear weapons, that, you know, societal collapse doesn't mean what it used to mean in the past. In the past, societal collapse, you know, would mean like a breakdown of order, maybe many, maybe like a bunch of people died of disease, died of hunger, starvation, blah, blah, blah. But you didn't have to worry about who's got the nuclear weapons. And, uh, and who's you know who has the bioterror weapons, right? Like that's a, a huge threat, bioterrorism, you know, or just bio warfare, you know, biological warfare. Now we're in a situation where we have various weapons that could totally eliminate humankind from the earth. We've never been in this situation. We're all interconnected economically. Um, you know, as uh, Taleb would say, we're very fragile. So. When we take all this together, uh, military-wise, military a breakdown in society could be disastrous. So both Musk 
or Peter Thiel, one reason why he pushes so much for moving forward as opposed to allowing some side of collapse, some kind of collapse and restructuring over time, I think, is because a collapse could mean extinction. In the past, collapse did not necessarily mean extinction. It really just meant, you know, okay, this local area. See, before systemic uh, problems arose, right? It's so funny. This is what Taleb talks about, systemic issues, right? So nuclear weapons pose a systemic threat, as in, you know, you blow up a handful of nuclear weapons, they could cause worldwide catastrophe, right? Um, you blow up one nuclear bomb, one fucking nuclear bomb eliminates a whole city. Whereas in the past, we've never had this kind of systemic um, destructive power. So the whole world is tied in where we have a number of ways that we could have systemic breakdown. And because of this, I believe Teal is very much like, look, we have to innovate our way out of this economic slowdown. We have to innovate our way forward. We cannot afford to have too much stagnation for too long because if we have revolutions and riots in the wrong places at the wrong time, it could mean the end of everything, right? Like imagine if uh, the U.S. military loses control of the nuclear weapons, Okay, that's it, dude. Who knows what's going on? Same thing in China. Same thing in Russia. It's like countries that have nuclear weapons, if they lose control of those nuclear weapons, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what could happen. The potential, the impact of that could be systemic worldwide catastrophe, right? Uh, The same thing with an economic slowdown. So Musk tied this in economically. That if we have, you know, the whole world is interconnected. Uh, people have said the world is kind of flat. We're very globalized. We're very connected. So, you know, it's like if China and America, you know, have we have our economic problems and one brings the other down or we have a financial collapse and a destabilization around the world, we could see a destabilization financially or economically leading to a bigger, more serious crisis. And so Musk is one of these innovators who's pushing the world forward, I believe, to avoid this kind of collapse. Where, and you've got Peter Thiel, um, who's a genius, who's a fucking brilliant genius guy, uh, but he's on a different kind of deal, right? It's kind of like Peter Thiel's made his money. He's not on the edge of uh, creating new things now, as it seems, more as, uh, you know, like he's doing a lot of investing. He's created a couple majorly important companies. Um, But other than that, I think right now he's uh, kind of investing and overseeing and mentoring. Um, So there is just, there's a lot of progress that needs to be had. And I believe that Musk is trying to find that progress for us, is he is trying to say, look, we need to be able to move to another planet. We have to be able to escape the prison we've set up for ourselves. Right? We've almost set up a situation in the world where we can't afford a collapse and restructuring because honestly, we probably need that. We probably need a collapse and a restructuring, but we can't afford to have one because if we do have one, then everyone could go down. Right Now, um, if you believe, uh, if you are a follower of Taleb's philosophy, it seems like certain areas are bound to collapse, right? Like, the way Taleb talks about it is 
when systems become too big um, and too dis, it's not just that they become too big, but once too many people lose skin in the game, when there's not enough skin in the game, so when too many actors in an organization, usually because the organization gets too big, when too many people within the organization are disconnected from their consequences, then the whole system starts moving off in strange directions and it can become very destructive. And once it moves in those strange directions, becomes very destructive, it becomes, it starts to rot and eventually it has to collapse uh, because it's moved so far from how it can be sustained in reality. Too many people that make decisions don't have to rely on the organism surviving in order for their decisions to be made, for them to make their quick buck. So they allow the organism, I like to say organism, they allow the organization to become toxic and overbloated and it needs to die off. So, um, or it needs some kind of collapse and restructuring. So it seems to me that our financial systems, some of our government systems, um, China and America are going to undergo some kind of restructuring. How that's going to look, I don't know. But it everything poses a p- potential existential risk if you look at it in a way. So that I think that's fucking interesting, so fascinating. Anyway, I highly recommend you guys listen to this interview with Elon Musk and Lex Friedman. Um, in this next segment, I want to talk a little bit about an interview I listened to with Dovey Wan and Anthony Pompliano about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. <laughs> Okay, guys, so yesterday I listened to a very cool um, interview with a, a guy named Anthony Pompliano. I've talked about him before. He's a big crypto guy, Bitcoin guy, and a Chinese girl named Dovey Wan. So Dovey Wan is a crypto investor. She has kind of, she started off in the tech space um, with working with eBay and I forgot exactly how she came into the crypto space, but she's a big believer in Bitcoin. Oh, I think she became a big believer in Bitcoin. Uh, She found out about it, how it could help people move money out of China, maybe. Anyway, it was a really good interview, and they talked about um, crypto development in China, uh, blockchain development in China. And uh, we got to hear different things about her perspective on China. So one... I want to point out, it is so interesting how if you grow up in a particular environment, how, oh, actually, hold on one second here, and we're back. Sorry, I had to, um, I know you guys don't even notice, but I had to uh, let a dog into the house. So, um, what I was going to say is it's so interesting to me how living in a different area or the way you're brought up is so powerfully impactful on how you think. So Dovey Wan is from China, born and raised for the most part, and her perspective, and I believe this is so backwards, is that she believes that the Chinese government – get this shit. She believes the Chinese government is good at central planning for the economy and has done a good job of planning for the last you know 30 years or so. And um, she seems to have confidence. And now it, here's the thing. Some of this could be legitimate belief. Some of it could be the fact that she needs to maintain her freedom, right? So um, in order for her to go from America to China, you know, she can't say anything that bad about the Chinese government or else she's going to be pretty fucked. So she's got to kind of stay in line anyway. 
But I thought that was um, uh, that was one of her assumptions that I thought was really, really messed up. So, and I'll tell you why. Because somebody who has been studying Chinese history, I know, don't get me wrong, I know she's Chinese, but a lot of younger Chinese, because she's, uh, I think, around my age, maybe a year or two older, a couple years older, um, and a lot of people in my generation aren't as familiar with the things that went down 50, 60 years ago. And if they are familiar with it, they have a, a, a funny twist on it. So with the Chinese um, past, basically the uh, when Mao Zedong took over, they went through a couple uh, major government centrally planned situations that destroyed the country, destroyed the country. One of them was called the Great Leap Forward where uh, Mao wanted to industrialize farming and production. And so they had these bureaucrats centrally plan out how all the farming was going to be done. They confiscated everyone's personal property, put everybody into communes or, you know, like it's what they called. I don't remember what they called them, but it was like that, something similar to communes. Nobody had private property. They confiscated it all for work. And it was an utter disaster. I mean, people were, were stealing other people's shit. They were burning down the what little metals they had, like silverware. Oh, they didn't have silverware. Um, like any kind of tools they had that were made of metal were being used uh, for any kind of production. Uh, food was being shipped from the countryside into the cities. People in the countryside were starving to death on in the tens of millions because all the food they were growing had to go to the cities. Uh, because the people in the countryside, the governors of those areas, the uh, regional managers were inflating their production of grain so they wouldn't get killed. So they were saying, oh, well, if your production of grain is so high, ship everything else to the city. And it was just killing tons of people. You had a bunch of bureaucrats deciding how production, manufacturing, and agriculture were being done. And as a result, everyone – like just – hundreds of millions of people ended up dying in the end of this all this shit so the great leap forward is what it was called when it was really the great leap forward right into a fucking burial hole then there was the cultural revolution where it was another um top-down approach in order to reinvigorate socialism within um within china and the, the goal was to get rid of the old cultural influences in China and make sure that there was nothing but kind of like a Marxist, Chinese communist Marxist philosophy. And it was just a disaster. Tons of people died. Um, it was a, just a disaster for China. And what's interesting is that China was not going anywhere productively while Mao Zedong was in power. I mean, wasn't going anywhere productively in terms of their economy. Uh, once Mao died and Deng Xiaoping took over, they started moving forward. But how did they move forward, guys? They moved forward because they started opening up their markets domestically and internationally. It wasn't a – but what's funny is, is that there is a uh, – in China, they have to instill the belief in everybody that it's the government that, uh, that is responsible for everything. And this, you know, probably there's probably lots of cultural reasons for this, but right now I know it's heavily brainwashed. Um, they really believe the government is like the all-saying power of everything. It's just it's the authority. You do, you know, you it, they're the authority. 
And so as a result, people fail to see how the government, uh, you know, can is not the one responsible for prosperity. The government is what hinders them from becoming more prosperous, right? The government opened up over time, allowing prosperity to flourish in China to the point that it is today. They didn't create it. They just allowed it to happen. They stopped fucking shutting it down. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, another thing was she made the comment that basically China is moving very – they're moving in a very advanced direction in terms of developing technologies for Bitcoin, uh, crypto um, – or not Bitcoin, for blockchain and crypto. They're really moving forward heavily in these areas, and they're probably going to make their own digital currency, and I think they're going to be using blockchain technology for that. That being said, it's not going to be like Bitcoin. It's going to be a fiat currency. So it doesn't – it means that it will be on – I guess it means it will be on a digital ledger that will uh, be – the government will only have access to. So the government will be able to see all financial transactions um, across the economy um, on an individual basis. They're already cashless, so this will be easy for them. And uh, they could inflate it all they want. They can – and she – What's interesting is that she doesn't seem to have a problem with this. Uh, for me, I see huge problems with this. Aside from the privacy implications, just having a government that controls 1.4 billion people have control of the currency and be able to manipulate markets and uh, things like that just sounds disastrous to me. But for some reason, she's cool with it. Um, so whatever. Then again, hey, she knows what she's talking about with tech and crypto, but that doesn't mean she understands um, what monetary – that doesn't mean she understands the historical ramifications of bad monetary policy, right? So there's that. Whereas I'm no expert in monetary policy, but it is something as somebody who studied economics, that was something I was fascinated about was money, monetary policy. So I have done some research into it, probably more than her in terms of the damage central banks have done. Then again, maybe not because I don't know. I could be talking out my ass about her. Um, but I thought that was interesting that she is willing to trust the government to that extent. Um and uh, yeah, it, but overall, it was a great interview. You'll you'll learn some interesting things if you listen to it. And I highly recommend Anthony Pompliano's podcast. Um, so I believe that's all I was going to talk about today. Uh, you can email me at tayradio1 at gmail.com. That's T-A-Y radio1 at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow me on my website, tstuch.com, T-S-T-U-C-H.com. Follow me on YouTube, Taylor Space Stutch, T-A-Y-L-O-R Space Stutch, S-T-U-C-H. I do live broadcasts on YouTube and Periscope. Follow me on both of those, tstutch1 on Periscope, tstutch1 on Twitter. Thank you for listening.